All right, here we go. Welcome to the Teaching a Rockstar podcast. And on today's episode, we have my pal Josh, Josh Evans, Joshua M. Evans. And uh, here's what's interesting about this one is this is a guest that I actually first met in person. I know, like old school, like eyeball to eyeball. You know, a lot of the guests we have on is uh, people you know, I met online or something, but this is a real one, like in the flesh, met him on an airplane, and uh, he's a speaker. He, You know what he does is he is an expert in culture and creating e- exceptional culture for all kinds of organizations, and, uh, and, w- and when we talk about culture, I mean, we are talking the same language because what he does with businesses and nonprofits and associations is exactly what we're doing with schools. So it's going to be a great conversation. Here we go. Teaching a Rockstar Podcast, Josh Evans. Let's do this. All right, man. So, um, let, let, so let me hear your version of how we because I have my version. And here, and the thing about my version is, I often uh, exaggerate things. I, I have that tendency as well. So this will be fun to, to kind of collaborate on All it right. and really. <laughs> So, I was flying the plane. <laughs> no, we got on a Southwest Airlines flight, and he was ahead of me because he had special privileges to board before everybody else. They took away those privileges. Well, we're going to get to why he was boarding everybody in front of everybody else. But um, he had a scam that he was running. And I, I didn't know this was, you're able to do this scam. And, and Otherwise, I might have done it, but um, I probably would have felt guilty. But no, so I show up and I'm just trying to get home from this event that I was speaking at. I think it was in Orlando. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of this event in Orlando and I, I get on the plane, it's Southwest, so it's open seating and there's like one seat open next to him. And he's, I mean, you've got big shoulders out. Like I was like, <laughs> but it's like, it's close to the front of the plane. I was like, okay, this, this is just gonna have to work. I'll sit in the middle next to him. So sit down and we just start a conversation. And he's like, Hey, what are you doing in, in Orlando? I was like, well, I was here for business. I, I, I do public speaking. He goes, Hey, I'm a speaker too. And then it turns out we have ridiculous amounts in common where we both went to the same university, we yeah. both love what we do, and then we actually both talk about culture. Only you do it on the academic side and I do it on the corporate side. So it was it was a match made in the blue skies. It was. Let's hear your version. Though. Well, well, first of all, I, do, I did get on first because back in the day, Southwest Airlines used to serve peanuts. And I, of course... I'm infamous for those of you who know that when I come to your place to speak, they're in the uh, in the well, the agreement and the contract and all the notes that we send. I don't know how to run a great show. Is it has a peanut thing because I'm allergic to peanuts and people don't typically want their speaker to die in the middle of their <laughs> performance. So uh, yeah, back in the day, Southwest Airlines served peanuts, so I got to go on first because for some reason they thought you had a better chance of staying alive on an airplane if you got on first. And in case you needed to wipe peanut dust off your seats or whatever it is. So. Um, yeah, so I got on there, and the reason I was there is because I was somewhere the day before trying to get home, and I missed the connect. Well, the Southwest flew in late. We missed a connection. They gave me a hotel room, so I had to go out the next morning and uh, and get on the plane. And And here's my recollection. As I said, man, what do you do? And you told me you're a speaker. And I said, really? Tell me about that, and I'll let you talk for about 20 minutes about it. And then you finally said, what do you do? And I go, oh, I'm a speaker, too. <laughs> That <laughs> wasn't too cool. <laughs> You're just supposed to say, hey, me too, right away. But I just want to hear your version of what the job was. Yeah, well, and then he spent the next hour and a half telling me what I was doing incorrectly <laughs> as a speaker, which is fine. You know, a little bit of wisdom goes a long way. I'm just giving ideas, man. I don't tell anybody what to do. I just give you some ideas. Yeah. Planting seeds, baby. I love that. I'm just giving ideas as if you can, like, just here, here's a couple and just go try them out, but you have no responsibility for what happens afterwards. I love that. Right. That's what I do because I don't want you coming back. Hey, man. 
I just talked to my buddy Rick Ramirez yesterday, and um, he's a speaker out of El Paso, and he has a situation going on. And he was asking me some advice. I'm saying, okay, I'm let, just to be clear, I'll tell you what I would do. I am not telling you to do this. That's like one <laughs> step removed from accountability. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm 100% guarantee you here's how I would handle it, but don't do what I do, man. Yeah, so, man, how'd you get into this thing? Because I know, if I remember right, weren't you in sales? Yeah, I was in, I was in uh, sales, mostly in oil and gas, and then also in software and technology for about 10 years. And uh, one day I got into an argument with a guy. I'm, I'm a very gregarious, enthusiastic, really, you know, optimistic kind of person. And so I got into a conversation with one of my coworkers. I'll call it an argument really. And he was just so negative about everything. I was like, look, we have this huge deal. We're going to, we're going to make so much money for, for ourselves and for the company. And this client's going to be served. It's going to be amazing. And he goes, Josh, why on earth would you tell him we can do this? It's like, well, can we do it? And he goes, well, yeah, but it's going to be a lot of work. And I was like, well, that's what we're being paid for, man. Like, why, how can you be so despondent? Like, this is your job. You either love it or, or go find something else to do. And that night I was sitting by myself and I had one too many scotches and I started just venting in dictation mode, like to my iPad, about why people should be enthusiastic and passionate about what they're doing, or they should go find something else to do. And um, over the course of the next couple of years, I just kept adding to it and adding to it. And I, I took on another job at a different organization, and still rocking it, and still in sales, and still enjoying it. And then uh, one day, by happen chance, I met a publisher, and she's like, "Oh, you know, everybody's got a book they haven't written." I was like, "That's funny. I've, I've written a book. I've just never published it." And she's like, "We need to talk." And so from there on, um, they published my book. It became a bestseller on Amazon. And I said, that's it. I want to quit my job and do this. And then it was a, a year of just like ready, shoot, aim kind of uh, stuff before I, I really started finding a groove and, and then really trying to get a stride in the, in the speaking world. It's been really interesting. There's just so many ways to skin the cat, but it, it's been really fascinating to um, as I watch other people's careers evolve and then my own. It's, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. This might be the uh, single the single time in the history of man where um, too many scotches turned into something good. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I had too many scotches before my uh, my wife got pregnant with our first kid. Well, there you go. So that, that's something good as well. Um, no, so I... <laughs> It, it it was funny because it was it was really just me venting about why why somebody should care about what they're doing or they should go find something to care about yeah. and so it, yeah too many scotches it was good scotch there you go and um the 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 now now you had the book already in your mind or was it actually already written uh so when I met the publisher it was already written it was thirty thousand jumbled words mm -hmm. um without real chapter names without any real stories just. Musings of a psychopath, really. Right. <laughs> Scotch. <laughs> Scotch fueled psychopathy. Yeah. Yeah. And and man, what here's here's what I'm interested in. And when you first, all right, I want to do this thing. I have a book now, and um, I'm 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 filled and fueled on Scotch, and I'm ready to speak. Like, what did you do? Like, because if, if you know, if people don't know, man. Like, this is a real daunting thing. It sounds great in theory. I want to go be a speaker, but then you got to sit down and figure, well, who's going to hire me? It's brutal. I'm, I'm going to be, so this is four years ago, right? So I'm, I'm in a much better place emotionally, psychologically now than I was the first year. Um, but, but so it's, it's really daunting. Like, I don't, I don't have a problem getting in front of people. I'm, I've always been the person that's like, Hey, give me the mic. I, I don't have anything to say, but I'm going to say something. And now that I had something to actually say, it was like, okay, who's going to pay me to say this? Right. And so, um, the first year it's, it's difficult, right? And so you get a, you get a couple people, a couple places or people that are, Hey, I, you can come speak to my group and we'll give you a you know, we'll, $50 gift we'll card or you. something. That's we'll the let thing. you, we'll let you, you can speak. sell your books at the back of the room. And it's like, right. Okay. You know, so it's, it's, it's me sitting back there peddling like, um, like I've never done before, which felt really weird. I felt like a, like a vendor at like some sort yeah. of like flea market or something. Um, yeah, buy my book. You just heard me talk. And like, this says the same stuff. And, 
Um, but no, what was really interesting is I remember one time, and this is one of the most profound moments early on in my in my speaking career, is I was speaking to a group, and I, I showed up early at the room, right, and I get all my my tech set up, and the room, and, and somebody else had promoted it, and the, the room set up for about sixty five people, which would have been a good audience for like three months in, right? And I'm very excited about it, and I've been practicing my presentation and just, just really, really hammering it, working on it, make sure I had all my lines correctly, and the, the exercises if I pick on somebody to bring up and getting really excited so the room set up for about 65 people and then four people four people showed up yep and so okay i'm going and so i went full bore into my presentation i'm running around like there's a thousand people in this room and then about five now about 10 minutes in two people get up and leave (laughs) (laughs) and so now i'm faced with two people and like half the audience just left right Right. yeah yeah. do, do you Acknowledge it, or do you just keep going? <laughs> right. What, what do you think I did? Okay, you kept going. You keep going, man. Yeah, yeah man, yeah. I know. Screw them. They don't deserve my no, message. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that same thing happened to me. I was in Atlanta, and um, we were we were picking teaching a rockstar dates to hold in hotels. And if I remember right, it was, it was years ago. It might be eight or nine years ago. And I think we just picked a bad date where they had testing scheduled in districts on that day. But remember, we got I got two thousand dollar hotel room and the whole thing, and uh, and we had. Um, we had 14 people, and 10 of them were all from the same school, and they uh, and something happened. They couldn't come, and oh. I got so I got four now. Oh man! So I did the same thing, and like I still think about it to this day. Like, what kind of trauma did I cause? With the because what I do is a big event, man, and I did a big event for four people, and I had just I'm just wondering like these dudes, they're all four dudes, and I wonder what they're like sitting in the parking lot after, like what in the hell was that? <laughs> what? What did we did, just? Did you, do you have like lights and like a stage? Did you, really? Did you I do had the a whole stage deal? at the thing, man. Oh yes, and those guys had to be like, what did we just? What was that? I, I just wonder to this day, like what are they thinking? I want to find one of those guys, and now I want to interview him on my podcast just to right. hear his perspective. <laughs> right. did, did you go you full throttle? Yeah, yeah. You can, well, you can't half throttle it. No, hey, we're here. We're uh-uh. going. Yeah, <laughs> hang <Hold> on. on. <laughs> yeah, me and you. Yeah, since then, because that's what the show was, and since then, you know, um, I've been able to uh, customize in such a way where I can make it more appropriate, it seems like, and interactive for just a small group of people rather than, you know, whatever, it's hundreds or thousands. And, um, you know, I remember I had a small one, but it was it was completely different where um, we were uh, snowed in at a hotel in Colorado, as in Denver, and so no one could get there except for the people that were already there because they came the day before say so because they're driving from far away. So I think we had maybe 12. And, you know, so we, we formed a circle. It was good, man. Held hands. Re- yeah, it was Dude, really I, good. Uh, we had, I, I bought everybody lunch. We had lunch together. You know, it's uh, it was just a whole different thing. Well, and it's, I mean, it's just like any other business in the fact that you have to be adaptive, right? If, you, if yeah. you're not willing to evolve to the situation – then you're, you're going to be doomed to be outside of the realm of what's acceptable. Like, you know, like me. I, yeah. Like yeah, Metallica playing to two people. Right. <laughs> that, that's what it was, man. Like, I don't think I was even able to evolve or I didn't have enough experience or, you know, the truth is I, probably, I was probably able. I just was scared to try something new or something. And uh, so I just let him have it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It reminds me, there's that, I saw this video recently and the Foo Fighters. Yeah. Um, they found out like one of their like biggest fans or something. The like Kiss that. guy, what? Kiss guy. 
I don't know. Oh, okay. All I know is they showed up in like his garage. Oh, they go invite, right. invite, invite a few of your friends. And they yeah, go, yeah. What? And like it's David Grohl like in this guy's like two car garage. Like they're playing like it's a thirty thousand person show. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's. A, I saw a video. I don't know what the situation is, but it's small like that, and it's like a little ropes. It's just Dave Grohl, and he's doing Pretender and stuff like that, over the top. Right. Yeah, you think he's in Wembley. Yeah, you can't. You, I don't think you can turn it down at that level, right? And uh-huh. I, I love David Grohl; he's amazing. Yeah, but uh, why would you turn it down if you're Dave Grohl? Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, man. And so, and so, I'm wondering how, from if you could try to describe how you have evolved as a, a speaker, and you know, and what I love because it's really just teaching, man. So, really, as a teacher, how how have you evolved from like your first few gigs to your last few gigs that you just had? Okay, so my first few gigs, besides the lack of audience, um, it it was a lot about me, and it was it was not that I, I I still use personal stories now, but but back then it was it was about giving them what I wanted them to have instead right. of making the realization that I'm not here to give them what I want them to have. I'm here to give them what they need, and I have to wrap it inside what they want. Have you found that like no matter what the audience is, there's stuff that you know that they need, but they don't necessarily want it. Right. And so I have to take what they really need and then wrap what they want around it. Right. Yeah. Here, pull that mic a little closer to you. The, Sorry. The, 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 here, here's what we say when a, a lot of times people will call and they say, um, yeah, we'd love to have him out to our district or our conference. Can he do this? Will he do this in such a way? And when Georgia takes his calls, kind of the standard thing we always say is, hey, listen, He's not going to give you what you want. He's going to give you what you need. And I think it, it because if they knew what they wanted or if they, they'd be able to fix it oftentimes, you know, and oftentimes what they think they want isn't what they need. So it's my job is, yeah, listen, it's gonna, I'm going to come in here. It's going to be crazy entertaining. It's going to be super beneficial. We're going to laugh. We're going to cry. We're going to have a great time. And I want to give you everything you need. And by the way, that's the stuff deep down inside you really want. No, I think you're totally right. I mean, and one of the struggles that I found, because my goal is always to serve the people that are that are there in the audience right there, right? Whether it's four people or whether it's, you know, 4,000. But what I've found is that a lot of times I'm having to fight some sort of preconception that they have because of other people that have come in before and yep. done a poor job yeah. of, of, of conveying their thoughts and their ideas to the audience. I mean, do, you, do you run into that too? All the time. Yeah, I'm having to clean up other people's messes. Yeah, and I think it's a little bit more than that, just simply because of what I do and how I do it. You know, my, my thing is very different in such a way where I would say, rather than a traditional speaker or trainer or a breakout or keynote, it's more, it's closer to um, like a one-man Broadway theatrical play. Where I'm telling it's a long six hour, eight hour story where um, there's, I mean, there's layers of stories and they call back to each other. And so oftentimes they come in and they think it's just going to be the same thing in style and we're going to take a bunch of notes. And, and what's weird about mine is like, man, I never really tell anybody what to do. Like, here's how you do this. Here's step one. Here's step two. Here's step three. That's not my thing. I'm telling a story. It has the steps in it. But I'm not saying here's how you do it and why, because just like in business, I'm sure in in education, like if I tell some teacher what, like what to do and how to do it, the immediate thing they're going to think is, I wouldn't work in my classroom. He doesn't have Sheila sitting in his front row. She's crazy. She would shank him. You know, like so. So and if I did tell him what to do and it didn't work, that discounts everything else I said the whole day. If I did tell him what to do and it did work, it ain't going to work the second time. 
and now it discounts everything I want to say. And it probably won't work because it's me and they might try it how I do it. So my whole goal is to plant a seed in such a way that when they leave there and they're driving home, just like a theatrical moment they had in a play or a movie, they're thinking, they have thoughts about what they saw, what they're processing, and they think to themselves, you know what I'm going to do? That one kid, here's what I'm going to get. Now it's everything I just outlined in my show, but now it's their idea and they own it. That's no, and I, I love that. That I think the best ideas are the ones that you plant into somebody else's head, and they think that they came up with it. Yeah, and they derived it, and that's why story, stories are one of the best ways to teach. Sure, and, and you know this because I mean you're a former teacher, and and I mean I, I teach. I'll say in a way, right? But it's, it's to corporate people. But it's if you're gonna teach somebody, the best way for them to take some information and retain it is to put it in a way that they can remember it. And listing steps or having a PowerPoint or going through, you know. Step A, step B, C, C, you know, dash one. No, none of those people aren't going to remember those things. Even oh, yeah. if they write them down, they're not going to have any context. Yeah. People will remember it if they hear a story. And then later on, they'll see something that triggers memory from that story and then allows them to digest it and then reprocess it for their own their own use. And that that is so, such a valuable way to do it. Yeah. It works for me. Like and that's the only way I'm interested in doing it. Like like that's that like that's the high, like telling that story and seeing the realization, like, oh my gosh, I have an idea. You know, rather than I, I'm really not interested in me telling them some stuff, and they go, "Oh, he has a great idea. That's awesome." I'd rather them think, "Oh my gosh, I have such a good idea right now," because I now now it's a part of them. No, that's really good. That's really good. In fact, I want to come see. I want to see one of your talks. I got to like block off like a day and come and be one of the four or five people in your audience. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. Yeah, no, Mark, I'll sit in the back. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what was funny, man. Mark Leary came, and you know, Mark does. He's so, he's a friend of ours. He does some speaking, and. Um, he goes like how? he goes. Um, tell me about your intro. Like, how do you get it open? I said, well, it's it's a, it's a pretty big deal. And he goes, um, well, like, how long is it? I go, my my intro for my show. I go about forty five minutes. And he goes, what? I go, yeah, it's about forty five minutes. And so he came and saw me do a half day, and um, so <laughs> I do my thing. And at forty five minutes, that's where this this the first kind of moment happens, and they have a moment where the audience has a chance to uh, process information and share an idea back and forth. And I look down and he looks at his watch. He goes, that was 45 minutes. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Well, we're going to spend, spend a day together, man. Yo, you know hey, what I mean? You, you got to get them ready. Yeah. And plus you got to get to know who this dude is. It's going to be, you know, they're going to be looking at for, for three or four hours and six hours or eight hours, whatever it is. And kind of get to know that person on a deep emotional level. So that way we can connect together in this, in this giant room of people. How how deep do you go emotionally? Real. I, I try to get really emotional, but it's harder with a corporate group. It re- just is. Yeah. Right? I don't know. Like, I, I give a talk to uh, a, a large high school recently uh, and their moms, right? So it was like, it was like uh-huh. know, 2,000 people. And the private school or public school? Private. Yeah. Anyway, so it was it was a really nice event, right? It was it was beautiful. Everybody's dressed in ties and the moms look great and I got a, I got ridiculously emotional because I never get to talk about like my mother and the relationship that we had and it, it, it's a beautiful beautiful relationship that I have but it's rare that I get to get that deep on stage because a bunch of corporate people don't want to see the, their speaker cry right and and so maybe it was it was kind of a release for me but it was so cathartic and, and like to be able to do that that's awesome yeah it is man so tears are welcomed as part of the you know that we have a little saying if you're not crying you ain't trying. And uh, and I, w- I would think even on the corporate level, I have a feeling, man, you might be uh, surprised what's really going on behind the scenes. Because you know, you know, my my limited experience at working with corporations, they have their their own little costumes on, 
And because they have their costumes on, which happens to be their, you know, white or blue shirt, their tie, slacks, jack, whatever, they're they're in costume and they're in a role. And that's how that people don't normally they don't act that way in real life. That's their corporate role they're playing and they're are acting. They're just playing. It's like make, it's playing dress up and playing make believe. Because when you hang out with these people, because when I hang out with my shell and Exxon friends, they don't act that way. You know, I remember our friend down the street here, Shelly, and she used, she was like, I mean, just crazy high level powered business lady. And now she runs Memorial Park Conservancy. So she's wearing, you know, jeans and she's muddy every day. But she used to have the, and to see her, I would go over there and she'd be on a, a phone call, like on computer, or like a Skype call. And, and of course she has shorts on, but she has like the business top up, you know, and her hair done or whatever. But to hear her in that, it's such, it was a completely different person. Oh, wow. I mean, that, does that mean, does does that become like a question of integrity? Because your your integrity is about being you know consistent, yeah, um, or inconsistency. I, I I think that there's a lack of authenticity in the workplace today, For and I sure. think that a lot of people really need to kind of revisit. I mean, because and I mean that's what I talk about. It's like, look, you remember day one, you were excited to be here, and now you're stoic. Yeah, right? you don't care. And um, I love that if you're if you're not crying, you're not trying. And now I feel like I have to rewrite my entire freaking keynote <laughs> because you know what? Yeah. I, I could easily go like there the the thing that really set me on my trajectory to care about working. Right. It it really was a very emotional time in my life, right? It was it was one of those really stuck, really heavy moments. And I don't know if I hold on to that long enough during my presentations. Maybe I should hold on to that longer. Yeah, man, for me it is. And I and um I just did a gig where a young uh, speaker was there and wanted to see what I was doing and I just and because he was there, I wanted him to see what that looked like. So I took it even deeper and then I held the silences longer to let them people just 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 to let the people bathe in the emotion that we created in the room together because I wanted him to see where he could go. What like what's possible. It's not needed every time and I just wanted to show off a little bit too. But, you know, at, at the same time, I mean, that that's really what this because it's through emotion that we can create new habits, new actions, new behaviors, new performances in our lives. Well, emotions, it's the thing, right? That's yeah. how you connect with other human beings. Right. It's through emotion. And then like in the corporate world, when you, when, when, when you remove that, it changes everything, man. You know, in fact, I had a coffee with this dude and, um, I'm not going to mention his name, but, but it's a giant corporation and he's a sales, he's in sales management there. And as a sales leader, he was talking about how, um, some culture things have shifted with, with, um, for for different reasons, and they really kind of pride themselves on, uh, not him, but this organization does on their micromanagement of salespeople and looking at numbers like daily numbers every day, and needing to be held accountable for what's going on with your clients and with your prospects, and 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 he was talking about the trouble he has managing in that style because that's not who he is. He's been there and he knows they're working hard. Like you, like he knows they can't work harder. They're already committed. They already feel bad. They, 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 it's their money. You know, they, they're watching things wash away. And, but he's like forced to have these meetings and he's describing to me how much he like emotionally, he just hates it. And we're talking about how to talk to him about it. And I say, I'm like, dude, say that like that, like say that to them. <laughs> like, that's what they want to hear. Like when you call them in. Tell them, hey, listen, I, I I really don't like these conversations. And I'm like conflict adverse, first of all. Second of all, I know you're working hard and to go through the whole thing, how it makes you feel, and then say, but we have to do it. Like that, because I think that's the that's real true authenticity. Well, it, admitting it, right? Like just it, putting it on the table and be like, look, this is what's going on. Yeah. And I think that that's 
it, once again, I think in, in this situation, it sounds like the, the, the tail wagging the dog, right? It's the, it's the, you know, whatever the corporate or the management style is, that, like, this is how you need to manage your team. But he knows it's not the right way to manage, but he's still kind of held accountable right. for their style. And if, if he doesn't do it, once again, he's, he's done. He, yeah, exactly. He's, yeah. he's on the chopping block. I've quit jobs because of the micromanagement. I just don't work well under micromanagement. Yeah, I can't do it either. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, you know, you know, I think most, um, not most, but lots of, um, I should, man, now I'm thinking about it. it could, it's like 50, 50 for teachers, you know, where, um, 50% is me. Hey man, trust me. It's going to be great. Don't, don't come in my classroom. I'll do my thing. You don't, I don't need, I don't need anything from you. I don't need support. <laughs> I need you to stay away and just let me do my thing. Cause I, w- I had more of an entrepreneurial type spirit about how I ran my classroom. But then there are other teachers, you know what, they're equally amazing in terms of effectiveness and communicating content, but they really like being told what to do specifically. Do this today. Okay, got it. Because that's like a traditional student. Like they were a traditional student. They're really good good at doing what they're told. Now they became a teacher. And they're still really good at doing what they're told. But for me, I'm really good at just just, just give me the canvas, man. I'll find the paints. I'll tell let you know what we're doing later. But it's always going to be great at the end. Hmm. I think I think the world would benefit from more teachers like that, right? Less less agenda driven. Yeah. And if only because then you're really taking an interest in the actual student, right? And so I'm I'm only now revisiting because I, I have young children that are just becoming uh, school age, but I, I have half my family are teachers. So my my mother has her teaching degree, though she never used it. My younger brother's a teacher. My younger sister's a teacher. My brother-in-law is a principal now. He was a teacher, and um, the way that they care about their students is amazing. And I don't know if they're able to utilize that because of the administrative pieces. Yeah. It's really challenging. You know, because here's what I say, man, like for educators, like the re I, I, I think it's true for all the, all educators that are still in the job. If they're still in there, it's because they signed up for one reason. And that was to make a deep, profound, lifelong difference in the lives of kids. That's it. The problem lies in with all the, the other stuff, the problem lies in the teaching part, like, because they're given so much content we have to deliver and so little resources and so so little time now. And with testing and assessment and data collecting and all that stuff, it's like that, that one component to make a difference in the lives of kids, man, that's like, it's, it's not even on a list anymore. Looking at from an administrative side where on the teacher side, that's the only thing on their list. That, no, that's very fascinating to put it that way. And I think that if you were to ask a parent real honestly, what would you rather have than pass a test or them actually have a, a better understanding, right? To have a teacher that cared, I think they would all choose the latter. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. it's a no brainer for me at least. Yeah. Because, you know, subconsciously all parents know they're, 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 they forgot the content. They don't, you right now, brother, I don't care how bright you are. There's no way you're passing an eighth grade star test. You couldn't do it. There's no way. You don't have access to the content in your mind right now? No. I, I, the one thing I have is Pythagorean's theorem, and that's it. Right. That's it. Yeah. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. That's it. I don't even Thank know. You, that's, yeah, that's true. It's Miss Kiernan. Thank you. Algebra. <laughs> you know, I, I was in an algebra class last Thursday. I'm looking on the screen. I am telling you. I know, like, when we were growing up, our parents said, want this new math. Let me tell you something, man. There's new math. <laughs> And you don't know how to do it. And it is way beyond any. And I'm looking at that stuff. And in this town, I mean, this teacher's killing it. I'm looking at these kids asking them, do you know what that even means up there? And they're like, yeah. And I said, I have no idea what that even means. And at the same time, I'm thinking, I want, I want, like, is any of this going to matter? Well, I remember sitting in my math class and my teacher goes, you need to learn how to do long division. You're not going to carry a calculator with you everywhere you go. All right. Guess what I carry in my yeah. pocket at all times. Right. 
Yeah, a supercomputer. Yeah, unbelievable. I, it, I can find any answer to anything. Yeah. At a moment. I mean, I used to have to go to like Encyclopedia Britannica, right? Hopefully, and we were it's missing in there. V. We right. were missing V at my home, and so like, <laughs> right. man, that's the craziest part. And like, even with my my you know my girl in college, like the most preposterous thing about this whole thing is one, obviously the debt, and the you know return on investment, the ROI on college. You know, we're losing that. But but the most preposterous thing of all is the fact that you can put her or any of her, uh, you know, smart, creative, resourceful friends in a fourth year. Whatever class, doesn't matter, economics, political, but any class, give her the final today, let her use her phone, she's going to ace it. They have access to the information. Well, and that's a big thing about adulthood, right? It's not about knowing everything, it's about knowing where to get it. Right, yeah. And who to get it from, and who to know, who to be friends with, and and being self-aware. And you know, well, that's not my strength, but let me call this one dude, because I know he'll know. Like that is, but you know, the traditional education is not about that. It's about you doing what you're told, not making mistakes, being good at everything, you know? And, And, you know, some kids just aren't, they have one thing they're exceptional at, and the rest of them doesn't, it doesn't even make sense. And here's the challenge, man. Like we're trying to stuff knowledge into a noggin of our kids so that they'll work incredibly hard so they can barely pass this end of course exam and the assessment, the state assessment. And so now these kids are learning that's what you do in life. You work really hard at something you don't like and you're not passionate about so you can be barely good enough. Well, and, and that's the way it's always been, right? That's a typical employee. Yeah. That's what that's you want. They okay. Yeah. We've we've gone we've gone ahead and, and taken out all the rough edges. We smoothed them down. We've polished them, and now they're going to sit in their cubicle right. and do what we want them to do. And we're going to analyze this in such a way we're going to pay you just enough so you don't quit. Yeah, and they're going to work hard enough, just hard enough to where they don't get fired. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. It's terrible. Yeah, I know. But you know that's the thing, man. Like what 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 I'm interested in is. How is it that those handful of companies are out there that can do something different where they can, they can find those people that are truly passionate? Like, what is it about them that um, is different in such a way that people are lining up and trying to figure out how to get in there? Well, and so that, I, think, I think what we need to realize is that everybody, on day one of any job, everyone's excited. Nobody shows up on day one and goes, I can't wait to be mediocre. No, they go up there. I'm going to change the world. I'm, I'm going to make this role my own. I'm going to kick some rear end and take some names. I'm going to make this happen. Everybody shows up on day one like that. They get there early with their coffee. They cannot wait to start. But it's once they start seeing, um, I guess, the kimono revealed, right? And like, oh, my goodness, look at all these rules and these regulations and all these protocols that I have to follow and this – Oh my goodness, the org charts and the having to, you know, have these meetings with my boss and getting, you know, reamed out because I didn't make this quarter's numbers. Like all those little things start to wear you down. And all of a sudden you've taken a very excitable, passionate employee and you you've, you know, sanded them down to fit into your the corporate peg that you need them to be, which which is terrible because you're losing out on something that could have been really valuable to your organization if you know how to tap into it. I think the best organizations are the ones that see people's talent in whatever area they're in, and then they form the role around them instead of for, forming the person to the role. Yeah. There was um, – I can't remember. What, you know the guy from the Gallup organization, Marcus something. He um, – is it not Marcus Buckingham, maybe? No idea. I don't know. But he had a great uh, little uh, video thing. It called, I think it was called Trombone Player Wanted or something like that. And it was a story about a kid in a band and being forced to play something interesting. He was just fascinated with a trombone. And it was just, just a great metaphor for oftentimes, like, in, I can't tell you how many jobs people are in and people where they, they're looking like, man, I would love to do what they're doing over there. And half of that group doesn't even want to be there. No, absolutely. Whatever job you can't, you re- just desire, right? 
like you just passionately want for yourself, there's somebody that has that job that doesn't want to be there. Right. But it's, it's everywhere. I think that we've we've accepted such a low level level of engagement from employees and, and even from students, such a low level of actually caring. Yeah. The bar sits so low that that I don't know how we come back from it. I really don't. Yeah. And you know, here's the thing, man, is like just the, the, what's crazy about the uh, professional lives of human beings is I, I fortunately for teachers there, you know, I think it's a little bit different, but in the, in the, what's crazy to me is in the corporate world, how some kid is going to graduate from college. Like I just dropped off a rental car for my last trip at enterprise. I read that enterprise is the number one hiring corporation of college graduates in the world. They hire more college graduates than anybody. They have to have, you have to have a college degree to work there at the counter. And which is why they're exceptional. And I mean, compared to dollar <laughs> and, um, but also I'm sure there's crazy turnover because they hire more than anybody every year. So, but the crazy thing is people going and they're racking up a hundred grand in debt at, at a minimum. And they're going to show a, just a job. This is their job. I have to do this. Like, Dude, you could, where I think in, in education, it's something different where many times people have been thinking about this since the third grade. I want to be a teacher. And because of that, I think culture, if done right, it's a little bit easier of a proposition to shift than in the corporate world. Maybe, because I remember back when I was a little kid, my little sister used to play school all the time. She would line up all of her dolls and her stuffed animals, and she would she would have her own lessons, and obviously just emulating what she saw in the classroom, right? But she, I could always tell that's what she wanted to do. She loved education. She loved children. She loved early development. That's what that's what she's that she was meant to do that, and she is in her realm at the school that she's at. And so I I, I know that I think no teacher gets in it for the fame or the fortune. Yeah. Not a single one of them. They all get in it because they actually care about the children and they want something. They want to do something impactful. They want to be a positive force in, right. in the lives of other of, of children, right? Because they remember everybody remembers that one great teacher that they had, right? And they also remember that one teacher that they just didn't get along with, right? And everybody wants to be that teacher that can connect. And I think the problem that most teachers have is on an administrative side. I think you're right, man. And I, you know, and here's the challenge is, um, I think we lose sight and I, I would love to hear what is it in, like your version on the corporate side of what's most important, like in terms of recognizing, uh, people and their profession and what they do. I read, uh, in a closed Facebook group was a principal talking about, you know, what can I do to keep my teachers happy and inspired or whatever. And to see the list, and there's great ideas, and you know, give, let them wear jeans day, and have a theme week, you know, and all this stuff, and, and all the funny game stuff, which is all cool, but man, it's all superficial. It's not really digging down. Here's what I mean. Look, we want more pay for teachers. Yeah, we want all that. We want all that stuff for sure. But really, what teacher? What I tell people, man, what teachers really need is evidence that it's working like evidence that what they signed up to do is to make a difference in the life in lives of their kids, that they have evidence that that is working. Cause we have evidence of everything else. We collect data. We can see that they're learning. We can, you know, we have all this stuff to see if the kid, if the academic achievement that's happening, but that's not really what they signed up for. They, you know, they have to do that is that is the vehicle to get to what they really want to do, which is to be the one the kid thinks about for the rest of their lives. Absolutely, and and you're you're like you're taking me back to my child where I'm thinking about the teachers that have had such a big impact on me. But um, in that world, the, what what I like to do in the corporate world is it's pretty easy in, in the teaching world, right? Because you can look at a teacher, and what I do is I break it down to three things: what it is, what it does, and what it means. 
So let's we'll start with a teacher, and then we'll move into to a, uh, a corporate role. But a teacher, what it is is literally it is a teacher, an educator. What do they do? Well, they do lesson plans, and they call on students, and they test them. That's what they do. It's neither one of those things is compelling for somebody that got into education on Monday morning. You wake up Monday morning, you're like, I have to go to class, and I have to be a teacher, and I have to go over the lesson plan, and I have to make sure Jimmy brought his homework. Like that's what they think about. That's what they have to do, and that's that's not the compelling piece. But if they can go back to why they started in education, right? What does it mean? Well, because if they do their job well, it means that the students are not only fulfilled and and educated, right? But they get to derive hope for their future. That's that's what it really means, right? What a teacher's role really means is not it's not just educating, it's not filling their their mind with information. What it really means is providing hope and and aspirations and and all kinds of goals to these individuals. Like you you are serving these children and you have such a small amount of time to really help them be their best. And that's what a teacher means, right? Looking back on the, the ones that had the most influence on me, they meant so much to me because they showed me that I can accomplish things, that I can achieve things. They, they were the one that saw my potential and helped me realize it. Those are the best teachers. And so it, it's easy to put that in, in a um, educational role. But when I, when I apply it to corporations, it's a lot harder. So let's, let's take an IT professional because I, I literally had a conversation with this guy. He's an IT manager, and I love to walk through this thing, what it is, what it does, what it means. So what is your role? Well, his role is an IT manager. It's not compelling. It's not exciting. That's just what it is. So what does somebody in that role do? Right? Well, somebody in that role, they manage email, they manage their network servers, they make sure nobody's going on the wrong sites in their company computers, they're uh, making sure that the internet's working, they're making sure that everybody's mice work for their computers. That's what they That's what they do. That's their day-in, day-out role. It's still not compelling. On Monday morning, he's like, oh, I know I'm going to have to go because somebody's you know messed up the whatever system and I'm going to have to go fix it. That's what they, they know, and they're going to have to update McAfee or whatever. That's what their role does. Right. It's not exciting. It's not compelling. So let's talk about what their role means. And I, we had this conversation at a roundtable of this leadership uh, team at this this law firm I was working with, and they had me out for this retreat. And we're we're talking, and I asked the IT person, "Okay, what does role mean?" And he goes, "Well, you know, it just it means that you know I keep some stuff working." And everybody else at the table gasped. And I, I'm talking like they have uh, administrative managers, they had um, partners of the firm, and they go, that's not what your role means. And I get to hear them tell him yeah. what his role means to them. He's like, no, it means that at a moment's notice, something goes wrong, you are the savior of our business. Like you save us not only time, right, but you are a peace of mind to the rest of the organization because you are the only one that we can count on to be able to fix this stuff. And all of a sudden, you see this person who just saw his role as an IT manager as managing email and making sure people aren't on the bad sites. And he suddenly realized that his role within this organization has so much more meaning. Yeah, It means something to everybody else there. But in, in the professional setting, right, in a corporate setting, it's so hard to take that emotional ride and be like, look, you mean something to me. I value you, not not just because, you know, you keep my computer running, but because you, you truly, truly have have value and, and worth here at our organization to me and to me personally. And I think if we can get them into that conversation, the second we can bring emotion into it, it allows people to, to remember why was I excited to start working in the first place? Yeah, dude, that's huge. I think, and I've, um, you know, looking back, I, I should do more of that. Uh, the, the few times I'm, I can recall right now, I've had those moments. It was, it wasn't by design. It was simply by somebody said something in those type of retreat leadership retreat formats and everybody else was so appalled by what they thought of their job and themselves that they had to correct them no brother let me tell you what you're really doing we had no idea you didn't know the value that you bring to the, the lives of these kids in our school and our culture 
rather than, but you know that's what I'm talking about for for um, in terms of educational leadership and hopefully corporate leadership is designing moments and making it more intentional to help people understand who the value that they bring and not just the, you know and here's the other thing with education and I, and I believe this to be true in the corporate world too is like we, we it's important to understand your why I get it and ever since Simon made that famous on his TED talk like everybody gets it but brother for me there's another level to that an even deeper level because you can have the why and be crystal clear about your why. But the next level to that is that if that's not who you are, it's never going to happen. So what I always say in terms of the like teachers in the classrooms, like you are the limiting factor. You're the ceiling. Like you're you you're the you're the number one limiting factor in the achievement and in the, of, of your family of kids that you create in your classroom. So it's up to us to make our to help ourselves become better constantly in terms of who we are, so we can raise the level of achievement because we're the only ones we're the ones truly holding them back. No, I think I think that's very true. I mean, and once you get into a corporate setting, a manager is is the hard stop for an employee, right? Right. Like they're the person that would it's throttling you back. And so if if we can make that realization, maybe maybe people that are in any sort of a leadership role, whether it's a teacher in a classroom or a manager of a sales team or whatever it might be, if they can remember they're they're you're just the conduit for their potential, yeah. right? Your goal is is to help them, right? To to kind of to prod them along, not to stifle them. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and I've read something down. I, mean, I think a big thing, and especially I think it's 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 for teachers as well, is when they come to these these big aha moments, if you want to call them that. Um, it's not a revelation, right? It's not it's not, it's not an epiphany. It's not a revelation. It's a reclamation. They're reclaiming why they got into teaching in the first place. They're yep. remembering. Yeah. And and that's I think that's that's a key distinction to make is because as you said before, nobody they don't accidentally become a teacher. Right. Right. You actually you go out and you become a teacher. Right there's there's a lot of education that goes into that, and you have to be accredited by the state. I think I don't know. I'm not a teacher. I don't, and I I know my siblings have told me about what it took, and I just don't remember. Yeah, I, I don't listen very well. <laughs> but that's man, that's the whole thing. And you know, at the beginning of the year, I just got off the road, and I do know that at the beginning of the year, a lot of schools and teachers they want the big rah rah session, and we're going to excited about this school year, and we want pom poms and cheerleaders and marching band play the fight song, that whole thing. But I do also I also realize that if that's the only thing we do, it's really, really superficial and that is gonna wear off. By the first week of school, some kid gives you the finger, all that goes away. Because, you know, because now we're deep in the weeds and we're in the reality of teaching. And this is really, really hard. And for me, the only fuel that is possible that we could we could garner is to fill ourselves full and remind ourselves often and consistently and help each other remember why we're doing this and who we need to be for our kids. Because that is the fuel that's going to last the, the school year. Like what, we're, what we really want for our students as a result of those students being in our classrooms. And I'm telling you, man, if it's to pass the test at the end of the year, you're not going to make it through the year. It really has to be like a deep, what do you want? If you could have anything for your kids as a result of those kids spending their lives with you 30 years from now at the school reunion, what do you want those kids talking about? I don't go to my school reunion. <laughs> but, you know, that's the, that, that's, that's the fuel that lasts the school year right there. Well, no, I think you're right. And, I, I mean, Simon Sinek said start with why, but I think you have to end with meaning, right? What does it truly mean to the to the people that you're influencing and you're impacting on a day-to-day basis? I think that's one of the bigger things. Yeah, start with why, but end with meaning. You want them walking away and not be like, oh, they were good at teaching us, you know, whatever algorithm or whatever, you know, 
grammar corrections. No, you want them walking away feeling like they've like you put all of yourself. Don't leave anything in the in the tank, right? I'm right. sure teachers try to put everything out there. They just the last thing you want to do is run out of gas and you know, out of October. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's when I have mid 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 October. That's when reality sets in. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so exhausted. This is so incredibly hard. I'm not seeing any results, and we're not even close to Christmas. I'm not even halfway. That's when reality hits, and you're right, man. Mid October, that's when the really that's when it sets in for those for um you know not, I was gonna say low performing campuses, but it's just kind of average campuses. Well, and I, it's funny. I I gave a speech to uh, a bunch of teachers recently, and it was it was um, mid August, right? And they had just they were just about to start school that following Monday, and so we did this in service, and we it was a it was a morning thing, and we go through it, and I was like, look. I'm sure you're all thinking, okay, look, it's great and exciting. I, you can be totally engaged on day one, right? But come Thanksgiving, like you're ready for that break. And right. then one of the teachers, I'm sure she did it jokingly, goes, I just can't wait for Labor Day. And I was like, that's like two weeks away, okay? You need right. to pump your brakes. And if, if it's all gone by then, like you're obviously approaching it wrong. And so I think you're right. It's The rah-rah sessions don't help. You actually right. have to go, you have to add some depth to it. Otherwise, you're not gonna, you're not going to make it. Yeah. And also being self-aware in terms that, listen, even even with the what, having a crystal clear what I want for my kids as a result of them spending lives with me and a crystal clear why and like a well thought out and written down who I need to be and who and where I need to improve and how I can improve for my kids. Even, even if I have all that spelled out, written down and crystal clear, even then I'm going to melt down. And that's okay. Like being self-aware and just like, I, like, this is part of teaching, man. This is really, really hard. And this is part of it. And um, this weekend I was with some, some teachers and helping them remember that like, that's, it, it's not, I shouldn't say a good problem, but the good news is this, the reason it's so exhausting and the reason you're so tired is because it means so much to you. If you didn't care, you wouldn't be tired. Like this is evidence that, that you're doing it the right way. If you're exhausted emotionally and you, and you and you find yourself shutting down on occasion and like going out on happy hour on a Tuesday, like that is evidence that it means a lot and you're doing your best and you're working really hard rather than eh, whatever. I don't care about those kids. Cause that, if that's, that's, that's very, very yeah, man, if you didn't care, you just go home and watch TV and be done with it. But the, but they're not, well, it, they, they wouldn't be a teacher if they, if they didn't care, right? They just wouldn't, they'd go do something else. And that's I, that's and that's why the, the profession is just it's so amazing because they don't get paid a lot they don't get the recognition they deserve and they all what do they get for it they get yelled at from administration they get yelled at from teachers and they get the finger from little Jimmy right <laughs> it's been a long time since I had a Jimmy I'll take one though I don't know where that kid is but I'll take him uh, but um yeah man so I'm I'm curious so everybody um you know here's here's what I do know is everybody has a story about a teacher. Everybody, it's been a hundred percent. I almost lost one. So I've been at, I probably asked a thousand people, tell me, tell me about a teacher that comes to mind. I thought I lost one. I it was but I was I because I love saying it's a hundred percent. And I was in Starbucks, I'm in the drive through and I'm filming it and I'm talking to the drive through. I order my coffee and she goes, Is there anything else I can help you with? I say, Yeah, actually there is. I'm wondering. If you were to think back in school elementary school, middle school, high school, whatever, think about a teacher that comes to mind first, a teacher that was really meaningful for you, meant a lot. Who comes to mind? And she goes, I, I can't I can't think of anybody. I said, sure you can, just think. And there's people behind me. She's serving people up there. You know, I, I'm so sorry, but I, I just know I can't, I can't come up with a name. I said, okay, well, you're the first, just so you know. And she goes, well, I, I, I'm so sorry. By the time I got to the window, she had like 10 names. 
That's great. Yeah. Well, the second you start thinking about it, right? Recall happens pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. And uh, so it's still 100%. I'm wondering for you, man, like if you think about whether it's high school or middle school or, um, you know, elementary, was it a teacher? You could have been a counselor, could have been a coach, music teacher, whatever. Is there is there a teacher that comes to mind that you have a, a crystal clear record, um, uh, uh, a crystal clear memory? Um, the difference that they made in your life. I I have a bunch because if only because I knew I was coming on this and I and I sat I sat and took some time to think about it and like really be thankful for those individuals. But I'm gonna start with my earliest one that yeah. I really 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 remember that had a huge impact and it was it was first grade and I remember it crystal clear. So we were studying um Mr. Hat, or Mr. Fog hat, or I don't remember what his name was. Yeah, that's a so, bad. It's not crystal clear anymore. Yeah. Your uh, your teacher was high in the seventies and, and listened to Fog Hat. Is what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Miss um, Williams. So I remember um, regular kindergarten show up, and then first grade. Here we go. And so it's it's now it's a full day because when I was in kindergarten it was a half day. Now I'm in a full day, and I am not the kind of individual that pays attention during class at all. So I don't pay attention. Right. It was mine. I'm sorry, everyone. I don't think I could hear that. Oh, sorry. Well, then nothing happened. Um, so, Miss <laughs> Williams, so I, I go to this class, right? It's first grade. It's just a regular first grade class, and we're doing whatever the reading lessons, and I'm just, I'm no, I'm not paying attention. I remember having the projector, because we still had the projectors. Nobody had, like, the big screen where you take the, the plastic and you write a pin on it, and then, yeah. like, don't lean on it or, or sweat on it, because, right. you know, it would just mess the whole thing up. The out. overhead. Yeah, don't get too close to the overhead, because it'll burn you, too. I remember right. that. Um, but so I, I would just look at the carpet and I would pick at it or I'd play with my shoelaces and I just never paid attention. And apparently my grades were horrible for that first half of the year. And so there was a, a very dire teacher conference that I remember sitting with her and my parents and me. And I'm the subject. And I, I remember them having the conversation where she's going, look, Josh is not going to be able to to go on to second grade if he continues this way we're going to have to keep him here in first grade he's not paying attention he's 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 not doing the work that he's supposed to something needs to change and um my parents and i don't know if this is the smart thing or a bad thing they turned to me he's like well, josh are you paying attention and i was like I don't, I don't think so like well let's have you tested for ADD. let's do all this stuff which is like the normal thing in the early 80s for all the parents to go you know run to uh ritalin or whatever it was right and uh, they get me tested. I have ADD. And they go, well, Josh, do you need to take this medicine so you pay attention? I was like, I don't want to take medicine. And they go, well, are you going to pay attention? I was like, well, I want to. I was like, well, let's talk to Miss Williams again. And this is the part that sticks out. We sat down with her, and she goes, Josh, you can do all of this. You're choosing to not do this. And so if you want to move ahead, if you do this, I know you can do this. All you have to do is actually want to do it. Do you want to do this, or do you want to you want to, you know, go the medicine route? I was like, I want to do this. She said, okay then we're going to do this. And um, she might have taken a little bit of extra time helping me on a few things because I'm, I'm very just, I don't pay attention, right? So um, being distracted, I think she took a little extra time with that. But what I remember is the second half of that year, I did so well that she um, enrolled me in GT for the next year. She goes, you don't, you don't, you need more stimulation. You don't need less work or remedial stuff. You, we need, we need to get you more involved. And that, that, that set me on this, this trajectory where I realized, like, okay, look, I learn differently than other people. I need more to stay engaged in something. And and it was that she saw my potential. She she knew I didn't need to be held back. Right. She knew I needed to be challenged. And her taking that moment 
to really talk my parents off the ledge of, of drugs and talk me into committing to, to working harder set me on the trajectory, right? Where, you know, then I was in GT classes, which led to honors classes in high school, which got me into a, to an okay university that we both attended. And, um, I still see her occasionally because we live in the same neighborhood. Uh. And so I'll see her. like, hi, Miss Williams. And she's like, Josh, you can call me Debbie. He's like, no, hi, Miss Williams. <laughs> I'll never call her by her first no, name. No. But she was, she's amazing. Yeah. Now, and, and tell me how old you are. Right now, I'm yeah. 36. That's the craziest part. So you're thinking back. We're talking, you know, just uh, 30 under, years yeah, ago. Yeah, right. Three decades. And you're talking about it like it happened last week. I mean, that's the craziest part. I still part. remember the green carpet. Like. Yeah, yeah, well, you're you're into it, man. You're oh, man. kicking it, yeah, man. And that's and that's the um, that's the power of it all. Like, oftentimes we forget as educators that our students spend exponentially more time with us in direct interaction than they do at home. You know, especially in middle school and junior, and then now even more than ever because you know even if they want to interact with their parents, which they don't, but even if they did, their mom's on a phone, you know, dad's scrolling. And they're now they're you know in their room scrolling, and so you know it's just um, it's that is the last place that we all have the kids. You know, kids aren't uh, oftentimes you know more uh, we're over fifty percent of divorce at this rate, and less and less people are going to church, and scouting scouting is about to fall apart, and less are involved in in athletic events, and it's like the one it's the last place that we still have all the kids collectively, and that's in the classroom with their teacher. The just a profoundly important honorable profession. Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's, it's up there with nursing or doctors. I mean, it is literally one of the most impactful things that a human being can do because their, their minds are so malleable, right? Yeah. They're, they're just so impressionable. I mean, now I have a list of other, like my, the next Miss English, right? She was my second grade teacher. She was amazing too. And then, uh, third grade, I don't want to talk about it. Let's, let's talk about third grade for a second. Oh, because man. here's the thing. I was, um, I do this, um, with teachers and if there's over a hundred people, it takes about a hundred. We talk about um, you know the teacher that was there for us. We, we talk about these moments and paying it forward. And if I have a hundred of them, I will find an educator. Get this: the sole reason they're in the business is so what happened to them doesn't happen to another kid. Oh, it wow. was that bad. It wasn't just one teacher or one year. Like the whole thing was miserable. They had a horrible experience beginning to end, and that's why they became a teacher. And typically, they're amazing. Just because they know what it takes to, to reach a kid. Well, they care more. Yeah, it's deep. Ooh. It's a whole different level. And so, but um, a, a lot of teachers, and you know, sometimes people don't like uh, when when I cover um, uh, negative things in school, or but this is part of the deal, man. It's just like any other profession. Some people are just not effective as an educator, and, and, and that's okay. You know, we just have to help them find their place in life, and this school isn't it. It doesn't mean they're a bad person. No, just bad man. for that role. Yeah, man, go do your real estate job, whatever they're going to do next. That's where they all go. Really? Yeah. Oh, and then, wow. and um, except I saw one the other day at the Galleria, and she's squirting perfume on people. So whatever, that, there's, your, there's your thing. <laughs> we all have a passion, man. At least she of, smells good. Yeah, she smells fantastic. Everybody around her did, too. And so for you in third grade, things changed. Well, you had a great first grade, change your life. Second grade was amazing. And third grade, there was a shift. And, and, um, and break it down. Okay, so third grade, and without remembering all the, the details of being, you know, an eight-year-old or whatever like that, I, I, this particular teacher and me, had very we had very different personalities. She was very stoic. She was very detail-oriented. And she did not get my personality. And so I remember early on, I'm going to say her name because I dislike her this much. Miss McCarthy. I'll bleep that out. Oh, will you really? <laughs> no, she's, I, I don't know. Anyway, so um, 
I, I remember her class very distinctly because she, she signs seats. So everybody sits down at their desks. I'm sitting there and I'm working on my desk. And I'm just, as I said, I don't pay attention very well unless I'm like, I'm a tactile kind of person. And so I'm going through stuff, right? And I, I'll start conversations with anybody. Yeah. She goes, Josh, you're sitting next to your friend. I'm moving you. So she moved me to like another group of desks. And now I'm talking to people there. She's like, she's like, Josh, you're talking to them too. They must be your friends too. And she moves me to another place. And now I'm talking to another group. And she's like, what is wrong with you? I was like, well, I like to talk to people. That's just who I am. And uh, we, we continually clashed. And the, she told my parents that there was a problem with me, that there's some something wrong with me, that I probably shouldn't be in these class, the, in the, the GT class or whatever it was. Josh needs to be remedial. Like, well, no, he's making fine grades. You just don't like how he's acting in your classroom. And I, was, I wasn't like a brat. I just, I just didn't agree with her. And uh, there, was a, there was a moment in that class where we did um, some sort of a book report, and I did a puppet show for Rumpelstiltskin. And uh, it was amazing. She said, great. I, I, I think it was amazing. The class liked it. They thought it was hilarious. And then we were supposed to go and they were gonna. They voted on the best ones. We get to go present it to another class. And I was one of the top three. And like, all right, Josh, Josh and, you know, whoever else and, you know, John and, and Jenny, y'all get to go present to the other class. And I did something in that class period. And she goes, you know what, Josh? Because you did something that I didn't want you to do, you don't get to go present to the other class. And I don't know why, but like it, uh, it broke me. Yeah. And I, I'm crying like in class. And she's like, nope, it's your own fault. And like she was probably in the right. I'm sure I was doing something I shouldn't have been doing, but um, it broke me. And I was just so upset. And and I get home and I'm visibly still upset from it. And I'm sure my mom, just really, really sweet woman, just like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry what happened. And I kind of, as much as I could. And then it, it disappeared for a little bit. And I didn't hear anything about it until I think I was either in high school or in college. And we were talking, like, somehow Miss McCarthy's name came up. And mom's like, yeah. In fact, right after you came home crying, we ran into her at a restaurant. And I went up and gave her a piece of my mind. And she talked so poorly to me, she made me cry. This, so this teacher not only made me cry as a student, she made my mother cry at a restaurant. <laughs> and so I have... I dislike Miss McCarthy. She's got skills. Yeah, she's she was good at what she did. Well, and apparently she had come from an alternative school yeah. into our school, and they put her in the GT. And I just I don't think she was a good fit. She wasn't understanding of my personality. Yeah. Sometimes, not that she's a bad person or a bad teacher. I think that she just was not a good fit for who I am as a human. Right. I mean, that's the thing we always talk about with um, educators is that um, you know what, man, we all have uh, the potential to have a monumental impact. The only question is, what kind is it going to be? It can, it's going to last forever. It dep the only question is positive or negative. Well, I think every interaction with another human being, and, and even more so as an educator, but every interaction you have with somebody is either a positive moment or a negative moment. There's no neutral moments, right? right. It's either making your life and their life better or worse. Sure. Right. Whether whether it's me talking to my male woman when she drops off the mail, hey, how's it going, Susan? Or right. if it's if it's me having a stern conversation with you know um, a manager about what how he's treating his employees in front of me, like it's yep. Every interaction is the opportunity to have a positive impact or a negative impact on the other person. You know what I tell people, man? Like in in the school system, that's obvious because that's the goal. That's why we're there. That's what we're doing. But I would argue that that is equally true in the corporate world. Deep down inside, you could talk to anybody. In an executive suite, in anywhere, anywhere, you know, any administrative, it doesn't matter. You talk to anyone and deep down inside, they too want to be the most influential person in the life of another person. That's deeply what they want. And I believe that we just, we're not just not providing people with enough opportunities to do it. Well, we've whitewashed them, right? In the corporate role, right? right. Put on your suit, 
Put on your white or blue shirt. Right. <laughs> if, if you're getting crazy. Yeah. Take that tie off on Friday, brother. <laughs> yeah. So- socks. That's how I got out most of my uh, right. flamboyancy when I <laughs> when I was in the corporate world. Was I, wore, I wore crazy socks. The, they just trying to get your freedom on your feet. Yeah, too. Yeah. And you know what? Also, that just thinking about the, 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 I think the reason it was so impactful for you in third grade when you couldn't go is because like that, what's wound up in your DNA is like the, a part of who you are in your soul is that of a giver and a performer. And when you, when she took that part of your soul away, like that's a huge part of who you are. And when she broke that, it broke the rest of it. Absolutely. I think you're totally right. And this is deeper than I was expecting to go on this conversation. But no, she really, it it, it really, I think it does go to like the, my DNA and who I am and, and as a human is I've, I've always been that performer, right? I've always been wanting to be in front of people to have some sort of a positive impact because of who I've, I am. And the second that was taken away from me, right? Like what, what, what else am I going to get out of your class then? Right. Like what's the point? Yeah. What's the point? I don't even want to go and, you know, pollinate those flowers with the little bees on a stick anymore. Right. Do they still do that? Because that, that I'm was, sure they do. That was awesome. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the other thing I was just going to make, trying try to make a connection, uh, thinking back to what you're talking about, is, um, you know, in terms of data and numbers and micromanaging and all that stuff, is when, I, when I'm visiting schools and, and when I show up and do the convocation in August and every employee's there and the superintendent gets up and they talk, what, I, what I've come to realize, like without exception, that um, it's those schools that do the absolute best on the end of course, standardized star testing, whatever it is in their state. Those schools never even mention it, what their scores were, good or bad. They don't even talk about it. They get right to the relationship, right to the human connection, right to the people, right to that stuff is all they talk about. When I go to the schools that are really struggling, it's the flipped. We gotta we gotta do our better on our scores. We're gonna come up with an intervention program to raise our scores. We gotta get and so I try to help them understand, but they say, Well, wait a minute, those schools that are amazing, they don't need to talk about it. That's they're already I said, No, man, you got it backwards. The, the chicken reason, and egg. Yeah, the reason they're amazing is because they don't talk about it. You've got it backwards. And I think that's probably true in the, in the corporate world as well. No, you're absolutely right. I think a lot of people think that, okay, well, we can focus on having a good culture once our numbers get to a certain level or once we hit certain revenue targets or once we bring on, you know, these these all-star staff members. But that that's the wrong way to look at it, right? I mean, look look at what baseball teams do is they don't they don't get the most expensive or the best players. They get the people that work most cohesively together and they they have their own cultures. Right, they create these great teams. I mean, look at the Astros two years ago. I mean, it's a straight money ball situation where it, it was a, a bunch of guys yep. that were very efficient as individuals, but really, really good together. And I think that that's what the best corporations do is they find people that fit the roles and don't necessarily fit the culture, but are complementary to the culture that an organization tries to have. It, it's it's so apparent. Yeah, and, and the ones that have great cultures, great organizational cultures, are the ones that become more profitable. If only because everybody knows what the direction they're going is. Yep. Right. They're not. They're not self-serving in their roles. They're. They're actually working as a team. Sure. Which you. You can. You hear those platitudes all the time, right? But I mean, these giant lumbering organizations, like, oh, you know, we are a team, and we're just, you know, giant family as a group. I like, think you have to say that you're not. For sure. It's so not. Yeah, and I think I think that kind of um, it's just not authentic. It's not true, and people know the truth. And anytime you're saying stuff, and everybody in the room is all nodding and agreeing and clapping, but deep down inside, they're thinking that is a bunch of BS. And they're all dying a little bit. 
inside. Yeah, it's true, man. And you know what that 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 culture piece for schools that you know it's um it's kind of the Chick Fil A model where everybody knows what that is now, and and they don't you you they don't hire anybody that comes in asking for an application. They it all it's all comes from youth group and people that knows. And I'm I'm in student council at school with that kid, and they just bring him in like that's that, well that can happen anywhere. That happens in schools. When I have a, a friend of mine who's a principal. And and they show up and I, like they're a turnaround expert. I know exactly what's going to happen. I, people are leaving, and that's okay. There's gonna be a few that stay because this is what they've always wanted, and that's this is who they want. This is who they want to be as a school. And this and the, finally somebody showed up, but the rest of them, uh, uh-uh. uh, and that's fine too. Well, they they self eliminate, right? Like I can't yeah. be around this. He's too stifling. They're, they have too crazy thing. They're not letting me teach the way I'm, I want to teach. Right, yeah. or it's complete off. They, they're asking too much. Like it takes a lot of work to be amazing, and if you and if you don't if you're not down for the work, that's okay. There are schools everywhere that don't require what I'm going to require, and that's fine. They can go with there, and I, you know I think um, once we get culture in such a place where it's so obvious and you can just feel it's palpable when you walk in there, that's who typically shows up. Those kind of employees are the ones that keep coming through. Well, and in. I think expecting greatness breeds more greatness, right? And people will come in and it'll be, they'll be like a sore thumb. You know, if they're not going to fit into that sort of an organization, right? If they're not going to bring their own flavor, if they're okay with mediocrity, then then they're not going to be okay there. Right. They, they can easily go work somewhere else. Um, I, I've seen that with organizations too. I think I've seen really cool managers, really excited, really um, innovative thinkers, right? Come into an organization and like, look, there are going to be changes. And if I do it correctly, they know. And they say, if I do it correctly, some of y'all aren't going to want to be here. But that's because we're we're transitioning. It's, it's it's not against you, right? You fit somewhere, but it might not be here. And um, I've had I had a great manager come in one time, and his style was a lot different than mine. And so I I told him I was like, look, I I don't fit the culture anymore. I see what you're doing. It's gonna be great, but I can't be part of it. Yeah, I'm, I need to find and that. And I had another really big job offer on the table at the time, so it was easy for me to say that without too much remorse. Um, but if people come in to, to make some sort of big sweeping change. There's going to be people left in the wake. It, it just it's it has to happen, right? You can't change with the same team. Yeah. Hey, one last question. Okay. We're checking out is um, how did you end up on Family Feud? How did I end up on Family Feud? <laughs> this is a great story. So uh, my father contacted me one Saturday morning. He goes, "Hey, Josh." I was like, "What?" He goes, "I signed us up for Family Feud tryouts here in Houston, Texas." I was like, "Okay, when?" He's like, "This morning." I was like, "What?" He's like, "I'm going to pick you up in about thirty minutes. Be dressed." And so, um, yeah, we, he came and picked me up and he picked up my siblings and we where, drove, where were the tryouts? We drove downtown. I forgot the hotel. It was one of the hotels downtown, uh-huh. but we get there and, um, sure enough, there's, you know, thousands and thousands of people there. Is it a to, mock set? No. Here's what it is, right? Steve's not even there, but there's cutouts of Steve yeah. all over the place that people are taking pictures with. And that's uh, and so we get there and like they assign you your room once you check in you're like you're in room number two and, and this family's in room number whatever and then it's you with a bunch of other families in this room and then they have and, and it's just it's just a room you have to dress up like you're gonna be on Family Food you wear I mean, a I suit did. the whole bit yeah if I'm gonna be perfectly honest I think we were one of only two white families in the room that we were in right. um but we're a fairly wholesome group or at least we look wholesome right 
And then they they do like a they do kind of a couple of fake questions like hey we want you to act like y'all are trying to figure out an answer and like so like you do the whole thing where you like you lean together like hey right, right. Ah, hey to ah. act like you're figuring out yeah an to act like you're figuring out the you're answer. not figuring out an answer exactly. not really doing it no like okay now you want to I want y'all to act like y'all just won and like they are literally just looking for enthusiasm they're just yeah. looking for passion which is fine but uh, we got there early and we're sitting there and there's a whole group the whole room and I'm looking around and there's there's a live mic like at the front I was like. I eat the microphone. Yeah, right. And so I get up and I walk up and I just pick up the mic. I was like, oh, yeah, how's everybody doing today? And everybody goes, rah. I was like, that wasn't good enough. Let's hear it again. Rah. Right. I think like, that's right. Who's ready for Family Feud? And everybody goes, rah. And like, it's a few hundred people in this room. Right. And uh, here comes the people, like the producers, and like, who has the microphone? Yeah. Oh, that's me. He's like, sir, can you please sit down? And like, everyone's like, you, you don't work with them? I was like, no, no, I don't. <laughs> that's perfect. Uh, yeah. But so uh, we, did, we did, we had a great time. It was a lot of fun just practicing, right? And it, just literally just act like this and act like that. And then, yeah. um, and like, as we're walking out, one of the producers grabs like, Hey, you and your family walk over to this door over there and, uh, just stand there. We're going to take you in for, for they had the, the actual executive producers, like in like a panel row. And they're like, they're going through. So what do you do? And at the time I hadn't really narrowed down my, my real niche. Right. And just say, I'm a speaker. Right. I was saying, oh, I'm, I, I'm an enthusiasm coach. And they're like, this is a bit meta for us, but, right, but yeah, we yeah. like it. So right. yeah, let, let's let's see what y'all got. And so we, we had to perform again for them. And they said, okay, but we'll, not, we'll bring y'all out to uh, Atlanta. And so they flew us out to Atlanta. And uh, sure enough, we were on the Family Feud. And the episode we were on gets played a lot because the other family it was their fourth show. And if they beat us, they won a car. Yeah. And so like like it, they, re, they re-show it all the time. And darned if we didn't lose. Really? Oh man! Like we we won every round, and then like somehow they got something, and like like okay, it's triple points, so they could steal it right here. It's like the, why are we even playing if you right. just play one last <laughs> right. round? And the one that got us because we were we won every buzzer beater, every single buzzer we won, took it back, we just cleaned up, and then we're sitting there, and it's what game or what card games do you play as a kid? And so like we, I thought we had them, and we're getting through, and like who ruined it? Oh, the brother. Yeah. Well, I think we, I mean, we had, it's one strike in the third round. And uh, the one we missed, you ready for this? Yeah. Old Maid. Yeah. Couldn't remember Old Maid. I can't, I think, I can't think of any. Well, go yeah. Fish, maybe that's about yeah. it. Go, crazy Eights. See, I go can't. Fish. I just want a card guy. Yeah, well. I was outside. Well. Yeah. Awesome. It, it was, it was ridiculous. But it was, it was a great time. It was hilarious. Steve Harvey is way funnier in person. Really, they can't. They can't put probably seventy percent of what he says on air. It's he's just, a funny dude for sure. Oh, he's so funny. Yeah, I watch his little Facebook clips at the behind the scenes things. He's it's, funny. It's, he gives out life advice. It, well, life advice and really like funny stories. It's a, quite a bit of colorful language. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah. He, he. Oh man, I can't. I, I don't want to bring it up here, but he went off with some very funny stuff, and like I'll carry it with me and cherish it for the rest of my <laughs> life. It's so funny. That's awesome. Hey man, I appreciate you doing it. Thank hey, you so much. Thanks for having me. You're a badass, man. You're a badass, sir. Go continue. Go Texas Tech.